What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coach's Classroom Podcast. Today, I've got Coach Kinnan, who's from Texas. Uh, welcome to the show, Coach. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to lately. Sure. appreciate you having me on, Joel. I uh, really appreciate everything you're doing for us in the coaching community. But uh, I'm at, currently at Davenport High School, uh, but the journey to get here, uh, I played baseball down in the Austin area for my uh, father. Uh, then I went to a school called Texas Wesleyan in Fort Worth for a year and ended up finishing my playing career there at Northwood University uh, in Cedar Hill. I actually had no interest in being a coach uh, when I got done just because I saw kind of some political side of what happened to my dad. So I went into the business world and I started umpiring high school baseball games and realized this is probably what I should be doing. So, so I was fortunate enough to get a job at Euless Trinity, my first job. Well, Euless Junior High, actually. And I did baseball at Euless Trinity. Uh, and then from there, I went to Irving High School, uh, where I was able to, as you know, coach Trevor Story for a few years, which, you know, if that's the best guy I ever coached, I think he's pretty good. Not that I helped him much. Uh, and then I got my first head job at Carrollton Ranch U up in the Irving area. Uh, from there, I went to Irving MacArthur. I was at Irving MacArthur the last nine years. And then this year, I'm at Davenport High School, which is a brand new high school opened up this August. So definitely a complete, you know, unique experience opening a high school. Definitely a dream of mine to do so. Uh, it's been a great experience so far. Awesome. Glad to have you on. So, you know, you reached out about wanting to talk about practice planning. So I just got to ask, when you're creating that practice plan, what are some thoughts going through your mind when you're jotting down some ideas for practice that day? Well, I mean, obviously, just like every other coach, you're trying to find things that are, you know, strengths and weaknesses of a team. It's something that happened on a game night that you need to work on or you're going to throw it in. Um, I'm real big about consistency in terms of our offensive approach. I want to make sure – we're attacking certain things every day. So the kids have a clear understanding of the offensive side. Um, you know, just an example, we basically have something every day. So Mondays is called My Pitch Monday, where they're working on hitting only their pitch and understanding that if it's not, they take it. Um, you know, Tuesday is Two Strike Tuesday, so Two Strike Approach. Hump Day Hangers is Wednesday, so obviously working curveballs that day. We do Thumping Thursdays, which again, you're working on hitting fastballs. Find a way Friday, so Two Strike Approach, and then you're your situational Saturday. So from the offensive side, I just want to be real consistent on what we're doing in the cages, focusing on one thing. And then on the defensive side, generally we do something uh, individual work. I, I have what I call a core four, uh, where each each position has four different areas I think that are pretty important, and they work a drill in that specific area each day. And we try to rotate those so it doesn't get stagnant or boring. So let's let's go to the beginning of practice. You're doing a okay. warm up. What does that look like? You know, why are you doing those particular warm ups? And then what does it look like if I was standing there right now? So if you were to come out and watch practice, um, the first well, if the first thing I'm going to do is cover practice. Although we post it, uh, I send it out on our Sports U app. I put it up in the dugout. But the first thing you do is I just cover practice one time and I answer any questions there, so there's no confusion. But then we go straight into uh, mental conditioning. Uh, Brian Kane, big deal there. And then I go into a dynamic warm-up. I stole it straight from Clay Cox at Paris Junior College, something I saw, uh, I think, at ABCA a while back. It might have been the Texas high school, I'm not sure. But it's a ladder series where they're working 11 different um, drills to the ladders. They're wearing their glove on their hand, and then when they exit the ladder, they get a, a feed. So infielders are going to get, you know, your snake hops, uh, your candy hops, your in-between hops. Outfielders are going to get the same sort of thing. Sometimes we'll toss on balls so they have to, you know, get behind it. So they're working on running with their glove, which is something that I've found to be really good, especially for outfielders. They're, you know, when they do those ladder drills, a lot of times their hands get stagnant, um, and we make sure they're busting their hands. And then 
right out of those ladders, they got to get down in a, in a fielding position. And then from there, we go straight into um, base running. So each day we work with something different on base running. Um, I know Gillum is a big influence of mine, and he said a long time ago, along with, I'm sure you've heard it from a thousand coaches, uh, whatever you find to be the most important thing, you put at the beginning of practice. And for me, um, base running is huge, especially when you don't have you know, boppers in your lineup. So we work base running straight off the bat. Most days from there, we're going to break into individual work for outfielders and infielders. So if outfielders are about to go to their indie work, they go over and get on the Jaeger bands, and they do the Jaeger bands in their throwing program. You know, like a lot of coaches, I have a catch play series, so they're not just over there throwing every time they're going to catch the ball and do something specific as they catch it, whether that be a transfer or a tag, um, you know, inside out sort of drill, one of those things where they're actually working on something. And then they go into their indie work while the infielders are hitting. We flip it, do the exact same thing, opposite, obviously. Um, and then we generally come back together and do a some type of team competition. Um, again, something that um, just really changed the way I did practice was making everything a competition and charting everything. Um, so literally, we chart every ground ball taken in practice. We chart in the cages. You know, we're a high school program, uh, not a very big budget. So, you know, it's just exit velocity for us off a radar gun and that can be wildly inconsistent, obviously, because you get a little cone of, of where it's going to be. But I found it to be huge for the kids. Uh, we track it. We post it. There's a leaderboard. Uh, whoever wins that day gets recognized. And whoever wins the week, we have different shirts that we hand out. And they wear that shirt the entire week. And then one day of the week, they get to pick the music that we listen to on the field. So, Man, that's some cool stuff. I love that music idea. I always try to play music as a young coach. I found that music is something that keeps that energy going. Uh, especially in those like those Missouri wet days where it's just right. raining for a week straight and you just got the music just helps keep things alive and it brings that energy sometimes where it's lacking but you know let's sure. go back to the beginning you talk about base running uh, even as a young coach as much as I'd love to work base running you know sometimes again it becomes very dry because um, you're just running so what are some ways that you maximize getting base running done every day at practice Okay, so the drill my kids like to do the best generally when doing base running, and they like it the most because they get to swing the bat. We break them into four groups. So generally, their groups are going to be anywhere between, you know, four to five kids. Uh, you can have a, a person throwing BP. You can have a machine on the mound, however you want to do it. The kid at the plate is doing a hit and run. And again, I kind of teach hit and run a little different maybe than some, where if it's a pitch you can drive, you're going to smash it. And if it's not, you're going to swing late and swing through it because it's just a waste of the bat in my opinion. If you're, if you're just gonna roll over the ball, you can't hit hard. The guy at first base is also going hit and run. So even when we're doing a machine, for instance, I'll put a kid on the mound that has to give a leg kick and the whole thing. So that so the guy at first base is still reading the pitcher. Um, they're not necessarily staring at the machine. Man on second base is gonna do less than two out read. So they're reading the ball at the bat. And then the guy at third is a contact play. Um, something I picked up from TCU. Uh, I love the way they did their contact play drill. So we work that in. So we do that uh, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, depending on how it works. Um, dirt ball reads another huge one that we work on a lot. Uh, the way I do that is at first base, we actually have three bases and at second base, we have two. So it works best. Obviously, if you have a kid or a coach that's got to get enough arm to throw it for the bump, uh, I do not anymore, but I had a young guy last year, so maybe I'll get lucky this year. But if not, you can still do it with the machine, adjust up and down. The front bag is doing the dirt ball read both at first and second base. The back base, at, uh, the middle bag at first base is a straight steal. And then the back bag is working delay steal for us. And then at second base, straight steal. 
So again, a lot of guys running at one time. And this is, again, these drills are maybe at most 10 minutes. Uh, I tell the kids, just like I tell the coaches, this is your conditioning. So I feel like you're doing that at the beginning of practice. The kids give a lot more effort um, and they run a lot harder than they do when I used to do at the end of practice. Again, going back to that, if you find it important, kind of put it at the beginning of practice. Uh, and we can do, you know, you can do bunt variations off the same sort of thing, but basically the big deal is there. Everybody's at a base doing something productive and at most you're standing around for 10 to 15 seconds here you're up again so let's take it from base running to infield you know ron washington i don't know if you've seen the video where he does oh, yeah. progressions with alzi abayas but i absolutely love that video because there's so much there's just gems of wisdom in there so that's what i've based my own programs you know infield progressions on where we now where we catch with the bare hand and then we rake through and then we get up and we hit the one hops at them. But just take us to your infield progressions. What does that look like? And then why are you doing what you're doing? So uh, what I've decided to do, and I think I referenced it earlier, is we do what's called a core four. So for my infielders, I believe that there are four things you have to be good at, receiving the baseball, hop recognition, adjustability, and footwork. So the receiving the baseball is the Aussie drill that you're talking about. Obviously the standard drill, we put the hand on the chest and transfer it. Um, the guy from Tulane did a yoga ball uh, Aussie drill, which I loved, and the kids love it, um, where you actually, you know, you put your chest on the yoga ball, so you literally have, you only have your hands to use, and then pivot feeds. So we do that on the receiving drill, on hop recognition. Uh, again, we're doing a ball off a machine, or we're just hitting uh, short ground balls to them. On the short hops, I guess they're pushing through. On the long hops, they're drop stepping or funneling. I'm not a big guy about you got to do this or you got to do that. Um, but we teach them all of them, kind of like you're talking about. And then to count the hops where they're just counting the number of hops. So that drill to me has been great for guys that have the yips when they throw the ball um, because they're thinking about throwing it. But if they're counting the hops, it's amazing. They count the hops and throw the ball, and they're accurate every time because they're not thinking about throwing it. Uh, adjustability, they go there. They do the diamond drill, so they're doing, um, you know, the four people in the corner like you've done before. And then we do what's called a ring of fire drill. Um, the ring of fire drill, I, I think another one I sold from Clay Cox, infielders in the middle, and you've got basically three guys around him. So they're tossing him different types of hops. And they, he turns each way, and he's got to be able to adjust to it. So you can throw him a short hop, long hop, uh, throw it up in the air where he's got to catch him on a short hop. Uh, kids love that drill. And then your footwork drill, again, the dry work, going back to what you're talking about, uh, ball and glove drill we do a lot of um, because the kids don't have a ton of it. We do a prep step drill, which I think is huge. You know, I, I feel like the timing of the prep step is one of the most important aspects for high school infielders and one of the most undertaught things because they just don't understand. They either get there way too early or they get there way too late. So we work on that. And then just, you know, your heel to toe flamingo type of drill. So I, I use, I listed all those drills, but basically we use, we do one of those four every day and we rotate it depending on what we're doing. So again, kids are broken into groups. You know, it's a group of three. So everybody's getting a ton of work. And again, it allows me to kind of go back and forth through all four groups to make sure they're doing it right. A lot of self-coaching going on with the kids there too. So let's take it to the outfield now. You okay. kind of talked about some absolutes as well. What are some of the things that you guys are doing as progressions and then why are you doing those progressions with your outfielders? Sure. So again, same thing. We do a core four there. Ball flight for me, uh, the angles, reaction, and then being able to throw the ball uh, to the right base. So um, those are just your core four, but absolutes for me, I, just like every coach, you know, get behind the ball, throw through the cutoff man, et cetera. One thing I think kids really struggle with is the baseball IQ part of the game. I, I think any high school coach would agree. Heck, 
probably most college coaches would agree. So one thing we really try to teach them about the throwing side is understanding, depending on where the ball is hit, that's going to depend on where you want to throw the baseball. Uh, you know, a lot of kids want to come up and show off their arm, and then it ends up leading to a guy going to second base and taking the double play out. But I'm very fortunate. I have a you know, Fungal Man machine. I'm sure you know what those are. But uh, even if you don't have one of those, we do a, a three-station outfield drill almost every day. So there's a guy in left, a group in center, and a group in right. Uh, the drill that I like to do the best is in left field, you're going to put three cones out, and the balls are going to be shot to the middle cone. You can either do line drives or ground balls. So they're working on you know the ball right at them, coming to the left, coming to the right. In center field, we call it, again, uh, just you know the circle of death. Um, the ball shot to the middle, and we have eight cones set up in a circle. So the kids are literally going to work on every angle, coming in, going back, going over your right shoulder, over your left shoulder, et cetera. And then in right field, we're generally doing some type of communication drill. Um, again, very fortunate to have a Fogo man. I, I totally understand most people don't have that. Uh, but if you have one machine, same thing. You can, As long as you can shoot the ball to the middle, you can set up any of those drills. And the kids kids aren't uh, very fond of it because it wears them out. But it's I found it to be the most effective way to get a ton of work. Uh, obviously, infield and outfield, you can't replace live reps. So we do that on every occasion we can. But when working indie stuff, that's generally what it looks like. So now let's take it to the team defense. You know, you, your infielder done their progressions, your outfielder done their progressions. Now you're doing team defense. You know, what what are some of the situational things that you like to do with your guys? What are some maybe team competitions you like to do maybe with team defense? You know, take us to that aspect of your practice. Yeah. So again, I love competitions, just like every coach, right? So we have our standard twenty-one outs or whatever you want to call it. You know, we call it. 21 for us because in, in Texas we play seven Indian high school games. Um, the one that I, I enjoy to do the most uh, and the kids really like is we call it four bag. So we break them up into two teams and the ball is hit somewhere in the outfield. They don't know where it's going to go. It could be left, center, right. But before the ball is hit, you call out four bases. So for instance, uh, you're going to say four, two, one, three. So the ball is going to go to the four. So home, then he's got to throw it to second. Then he's got to throw it to first, and then he's got to throw it to third. So what I like about that drill is it works everything, right? So it works, let's say the ball's hit the left field. So the shortstop now has to understand what base he covers, right? So he goes to third base to cover. The third baseman is your cut. The catcher's communicating with him. While that's happening, the first baseman and center fielder have got to get in position for overthrows. So the ball goes to the catcher. He throws it to second base. Now, when that's happening, everybody in the field should be yelling two. He turns and throws it to first, first turns and throws it to third, and then you always throw it back home to end it. If a ball is dropped, then the other group comes in. If the ball is overthrown, the other group comes in unless the outfielder is in the right spot to back it up. And then they can take it and throw it to the correct base. Uh, it's a really fast-paced drill, believe it or not. And my big deal is, um, you know, back picking to first base, you know, ball hit to right field. How many times do you see in second base when you stand there and watch the ball? So it's been a big help for us for them to understand what base they're supposed to cover on each individual play. And then if, like on a drill like that, we're going to do, you know, who has to pick the field up. So who has to rake, who has to drag, that's going to be the competition that day. Um, and, you know, kids are not a big fan of having to do all that work. So they get after it and get a pretty good, uh, pretty good competition going. Um, my favorite drill for BP purposes, I know we went defense, but I'll just tell you this one. And I can't remember who I stole it from. Um, you know the guy at Iowa, Iowa Western, uh, Mr. Coach Rard, and he he uh, his presentation. He said the two best thieves in the world were Ricky Henderson and me, 
I feel the same way. I'm sure you do because everything I've taken has pretty much been stolen from somebody else. But anyways, we uh, we set up the turtle, and so you've got your team hitting, uh, a team in the field, and then you got a team talking trash, and they they can you know obviously there's some stuff that's off limits, and this is high school, so we got to kind of watch the language a little bit, but. Basically, the point is they're in there trying to distract the hitter. If the hitter cracks, if he smiles or has to step out, then his round is over, and the team that's talking the trash gets the point. And that's been huge. The kids absolutely love that. But what I've found it to do is when we get in those pressure situations, the kids don't – it doesn't phase them as much because, you know, it's – whatever our kids are going to say to each other is much worse than what's going to be set up in the stands. Uh, they love it. I think it's a great little, you know, break in competition – um, and we do it like that. So, uh, but you know, defensive work, we try to make every, again, we chart everything and we try to make everything competition. I, I found that the uh, shirt, the shirts that we give out every week, uh, the kids really compete for and like because it kind of, you know, obviously a team sport and I'm, I'm real big on everybody doing the same thing, looking the same, you know, as much as I'm not a fan of the Yankees, you know, the short hair and the facial hair and all, I want everyone to look the same, but it allows them to kind of get recognized for the effort they gave at practice that week. You know, you speak about, man, I can only imagine as a high school coach, someone who works at a school, what could possibly be said at my own practices? Uh, as you mentioned that drill, I'm thinking, man, like, who knows, like, what would be coming out of some of these high school boys' mouths and just, sure. oh, man, I can't even understand and believe. But, you know, what are some other ways you do on-field DP? I know we kind of touched it a little bit, but there's so many different ways you could take it. So what are some other, you know, situational things you do with on-field BP or ways you maximize getting BP in? So, um, again, I, I'm huge on getting the most amount of work where guys aren't standing around. So if you come out to one of our practices and do BP, and I'm a big mental game guy. I know, uh, you know, in some of our conversations, there's guys that, that think that that's, uh, you know, witchcraft or whatever. But I'm, I'm big into it. So uh, generally you're going to see two different plates that are actually outside of our BP. So before they go in, they're going to have a, a release plate and a pre-pitch routine plate. So they're getting ready. Generally when they hop out of the, you know, they're going to hit, I'm a big guy on every, every, you know, last ball of the round um, is live. So they have to get some run in it as well. And the runner, you know, the defensive guys get a good idea, but generally I'm also going to set up a machine where we're working bunts uh, or I'm going to set up the, or, or a station back there. where We're going to do exit velo and it's going to be charted again. So there's not standing around, you know, the one thing that I just drives me absolutely crazy is one guy hitting and seven guys watching. I just, I've never got it. I've never understood it. And it drives me crazy. So we try to come up with creative ways to make sure that they're always doing something. You know, another thing uh, that we do is we have them hop back there behind the screen and they, they say yes or no for their pitch. So every kid has the way I teach pitch selection. You know, we do an, basically a nine plot strike zone where one is the top corner and nine is the bottom and every hitter should have two numbers that they're looking to hit. So uh, going back to pitch tracking, they're back there behind. If the hitter swings, he either says yes or no. Yes, that was your pitch or no, you swung at a bad pitch. So there again, pitch recognition going on back there as well. And so what about pitching? You know, guys throw bullpens. You probably have a ton of guys that need to throw constantly because you know, you're a big Texas school. So, you know, how do you maximize guys throwing in bullpens? And what are some ways you mix up you throwing bullpens? So we do, uh, you know, a few different types of bullpens. Everything is scripted for me. Again, we're going to chart it because I want to know what's going on. Um, I did listen to the guys speak at Duke about 
um, how control really isn't that big a deal anymore. You just need to throw strikes. So I might have to change the way I chart uh, bullpens after really diving into what he said and talking to him. But that being said, uh, I have a program set up. So every kid has their folder. Uh, and whether they're a starter or reliever, they each have their own designated plan. So Friday starters, Tuesday starters throw together, relievers throw together. Uh, and what I like to do there is going back to always having somebody live in the bullpen. I always want to hit her in there if possible. Uh, at worst, I'll put one of the, you know, the dummies up there. Um, I don't know what they're called, but you know what I'm talking about. Those little red or blue dummies that you throw in there as a hitter. Uh-huh. And so on a normal day, let's say my Friday varsity starter and my Friday JV starter, uh, and then their, their secondary guy or Saturday starter, they're going to go in the bullpen together. One guy's going to stand in and hit or quote unquote, you know, be there as a hitter. And the other guy's going to pitch. Um, and then they're going to rotate. So I, I'm not a, I hate, again, this is just trying to make it as game-like as possible. Uh, you're hopefully never going to allow a kid to go out there and throw 50 straight pitches in a game. Uh, that's not how their arm needs to be trained, in my opinion. You need to train it like the game. So at max, we're going to go 20 pitches. Um, and that's how we're going to go from there. Generally, you're looking at 10 to 12 pitches, and then they're going to switch. So they've got to get used to, quote-unquote, going back into the dugout and having to rest before they get back on the bump. Uh, so that's generally how we try to do those. This year is going to be completely different for me than I've done in the past just because uh, I've been fortunate enough to have enough coaches where I had a pitching coach, an infield coach, an outfield coach. This year I don't have that option. So I'm actually going to throw bullpens in the morning. But another way we do bullpens, we throw them up in the cages. We have portable mounds in the cages. So, again, two things are happening. The, the kids that are hitting are getting live at-bats, which is something that you can't replace. And then the kids that are pitching, you know, when the guy's in there swinging live, they tend to compete a lot more. So I've just found that that, as a coach, as I'm sure everyone out there would agree, the more chances we have to put them in a situation when they have to compete, the better off they're going to be to understand, you know, their how their emotions are, how to slow down their heartbeat or whatever you want to call it. So we were talking earlier before we started the recording, but, you know, you're talking about tryouts. Now, I'm, I'm curious as to how you you run tryouts. You know, your practices sound so efficient and so much work is getting done. So what are you doing in tryouts to evaluate players and how do you manage and script that? Sure. So um, I'm everything's a point system for me when it comes to tryouts. And there's a there's a very long backstory there, which I'm sure we could talk about at some other time. But everything is scripted. So um, the way we do tryouts is you're going to have a bunch of different stations. We're going to break you up into groups. So what I try to do is get four different groups and then divide them evenly. And then what they're going to do is they're going to have three rotations. So everything is a ground system between one through five, five being the highest and zero, obviously being the lowest if they did nothing, but, you know, generally one. And um, I, I, I get some coaches to come out and help me for tryouts, not just the guys I have, and we each work just that station. So as a young coach, I thought, oh, we, we'll rotate with our groups. But then I found out, you know, the way that, you know, Joel views hitting is not the way Coach Canan views hitting. So you might have given a guy a five when I would have given him a three. So now what I do is every coach stays at that station for the entire group. So, for instance, I, mean, I was actually writing it out today. So rotation one uh, for me is going to be they're going to go to the bullpen and they're going to throw live. They're going to get a, a pitching grade, a velocity grade, and an accuracy grade. And then number two is going to be the distance throw where we're going to put cones out and let her fly, see how far they can throw it. And then number three is home to first. We're going to time that. Then rotation two, again, very fortunate to have the fungal man. So uh, I use the fungal man here. 
But the infield is getting a ground ball. Again, uh, going back to the three cone situation where they're going to get three balls, one right at them, one to the left, one to the right. They're going to field it and throw. I have a nine pocket set up, and so we're grading on fielding and accuracy there again. And then the outfield is also getting a ball at the same time. So the fungal man shoots one to the infield, shoots one to the outfield. Outfielders, same thing, three three cones right at them to the left, to the right. And then they're coming up and throwing to a quote-unquote cutoff man, which is a net. And we're grading again accuracy there. And then, then we're doing 60s uh, with, with with two groups. And then rotation three, they're going to hit on the field or in the cages, generally in the cages. But uh, the place I'm at now, we don't have lights in the cages at the moment. So it gets dark in Texas around, you know, 535, 45. So we're going to hit on the field and then do exit velocity behind it um, with a net. And then the other group's just going to be on defense being graded how they look. And then we're going to do first to third. And then finally, everybody's going to come back and do uh, steals. So two groups will be at first, going first to second with two bags. Two groups will be at second, going second to third, and we're timing there. Um, and then we come back together. We put it all in the Excel spreadsheet, and then we have a point value. And that's how we determine if we have to cut. You know, I, you and I were talking before, the worst part about being a coach is cutting kids. But, um, you know, sometimes you got kids out there, they're going to hurt themselves if you keep them. So uh, that's how we do it. And then if, we, if a kid wants to come and have a conversation or those kids that we do cut, I, I call them in and tell them, hey, here's where you're, you struggled. Uh, here's what you need to work on before next year and kind of give them a, an indication there. And then on Saturday, we come back and we um, and we go straight into uh, inner squad and we break them up that way. So, man, this has just been such a phenomenal amount of information that you're sharing, Coach. And so I have to wrap up the podcast right here with this question. And okay. it's something I wrote down while you were talking you know, right. as a high school coach, for, unfortunately, fortunately for me, whichever way a coach sees it, a lot of my kids at my very small high school of about 100 kids, um, a lot of them don't play travel baseball. The only way they're going to play sure. is if I'm the one scheduling games for the school as a whole to play in the summer, where I'm sure a lot of coaches, yourself included, probably have kids that play for, you know, travel, uh, select teams in the summer, and they do training in the winter and uh, all that stuff and more. But... I'm interested for you as you you only get so much time with these kids in comparison to these travel organizations, but how much of a role do you see your job as developing versus the travel organization? Meaning, is your job more to develop or win, do you think? I think develop 100%. I mean, and I'm not just talking developing the kid as a baseball player. You know, our, our my biggest job is develop the kid as a human being. Right, so when they step out and they go into the real world, uh, they have an under indication. You know, uh, travel ball is great, and, and you're right. I have a lot of kids play travel ball at the school I'm at now. The school I was at previously, we had very few. So uh, just like you're talking about, I had to set up summer games and etc. Um, for me, that the huge part about that is once you've been in a place a few years, you get kids that have played for you and played the right way, and they're the ones that coach, so they can make sure that the kids understand what your expectations are. Um, but I, I will say this, I take a different approach than a lot of coaches when it comes to the club or select ball circuit. And what I mean by that is I try to make sure that I communicate with those select coaches because I want to make sure we're speaking the same language. And then if they're doing something that I don't agree with or that maybe I think we could be done differently, then I'm going to call the parent in and the player and say, listen, I'm not saying this guy's wrong and I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just letting you know. Here's what I'm going to do different. But I think what a lot of times happens is, you know, a lot of those guys are great coaches. Heck, some of them are, a lot of them are high school coaches. But let's say, you know, we're both saying the same thing about 
driving their back hip, but you're saying it as in, uh, you know, I'm saying drive the back hip to the pitcher and you're saying lead with your hips or, you know, whatever it might be. And although we're saying the exact same thing, the kid is hearing two different things or three different things and they don't know which one's right. So I, I try to make sure all those kids who play club ball or select ball that their coaches and I have a conversation and we make sure we're on the same page. Because ultimately for, you know, they're going to be coaching your kids probably more in the summer than you ever will in the spring. So I want to make sure whatever we're doing is reinforced on both ends. Man, Coach, that's why you're one of the best. Thanks so much for coming on and talking practice planning. I loved hearing what you had to say. I got a bunch of good stuff myself, and I know all the other coaches listening um, will love it just as much as I did. But thank you so much for taking the time, sure. Coach. And like, and if you need anything or anybody needs anything out there, you know, I have a lot of that stuff video that I can send to you. So feel free to reach out um, via email or my Twitter handle or, or however you want to do that. Awesome. Thanks so much, Coach. Thank you, sir.